This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What kind of a rifle and what kind of gear do you need to hunt elk? On this episode, I'm going to cover that and more. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanitas, and we are continuing on with the series on elk hunting, and we're going to talk about gear today. Now, people love to talk about firearms for elk hunting. It's a big subject, popular, controversial, on and on and on, but the bottom line is, how much horsepower do you really need to take down an elk? Well, there's a couple questions here. The first question is, how far away do you plan on shooting that elk? A lot of people online, across the internet, magazine writers, celebrities, people talk about shooting elk at five, six, seven, eight hundred yards. And people think that they need to have a rifle that's capable of punching out that far. Well, guys, that is a fantasy, all right? That is absolutely ridiculous, absurd, irresponsible, and unconscionable for the average hunter. Put that kind of nonsense out of your mind. First of all, there are very few places where you're going to hunt elk that you will ever get a shot from seven or 800 yards away from a supported rest uh, across a plane or something like that. It's just not the way that it usually works. And here's what happens when you do line up a shot like that. There's usually some sort of a valley or a mountain or something in between. And when there's a valley, there's a stream. And when there's a stream, there's usually no way to you for you to get to or retrieve that animal. So very rarely, and, and even if there is no stream, and it's just this valley, maybe it, there's only water down there when it floods. Even in those kind of situations, 
for you to, to go down a valley and then up another hillside and then take that animal apart and then pack it out back down that mountain and up the other mountain a thousand yards I mean it's just ridiculous and you don't know how far it's going to run and so often people that do end up taking shots like that they never recover the animal even if they hit it they never recover the animal they just they get to the bottom of the valley and realize oh I can't I can't get through that stream or by the time they go climb down one mountain and climb up another mountain they they can't figure out where the where the thing even was they have no idea where to go. So now get that out of your mind. That is not the way you are going to hunt elk. Very few places and there are very few hunters that have the skill and the wherewithal. And, and of those who do, very few of them actually hunt elk. So you have very few situations where that is going to be something that happens. And it's not going to be for you. Most shots that you're going to take are going to be between 100, 150, maybe 200 yards. You're going you're gonna to try to come up on them, maybe through timber, maybe cresting a hill, maybe, um, you know, in tall grass. You're, you're, you're going to be shooting usually a little further than you would for whitetails when you're hunting them on foot. But most of the time, you're talking about under 200 yard shot. So my recommendation is for you to practice at 200 yards and your stretch, your stretch goal to be 300. If you can shoot out the 300 yards effectively and accurately and reliably, then you probably have everything you need to hunt elk in regular and extenuating circumstances. So you need to be able to punch out to about 200 yards. Now, here's the thing. I can shoot at 300 yards. I could hit an elk at 300 yards. I can hit a deer at 300 yards. I could probably hit a, I could probably hit a woodchuck at 300 yards. From a rest and a sandbag on a calm day when I'm calm. But you then, you, you, you put into place everything that goes along with the hunting and the adrenaline, and you've just been trudging through a valley and up a hill, and you've been on the move all day, and you've been go, 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 and you get there, now your heart's racing. All of a sudden, you know, that ability to, to calmly and predictably and effectively shoot from sandbags on a calm day with a slow beating heart, that's all out the window. All right, maybe you can take a rest. Maybe you can perch your gun up against a rock or a branch or you can kneel or very rarely are you actually going to be able to take a prone position very rarely only if you're cresting a hillside or something like that usually if you're coming up on them through the timber or through the tall grass you're you get down on the ground all you're going to see is grass so you here's the thing you need to be able to shoot standing offhand unsupported or with most a bipod I mean, like a standing bipod or a monopod. That's probably the most that you're going to be able to have. So you need to be able to take that critter and hit them in that situation under those circumstances, adrenaline pumping, heart racing, exhausted, hand shaking, out of breath with no support. So I can tell you for myself in those situations and circumstances, I cannot shoot 300 yards. 
Um, no, there's there's no two ways about it. I'm not going to take a shot at an elk at 300 yards in those circumstances. 200 yards in those circumstances, for me, it's a stretch. Uh, I mean, if with a lot of practice, I probably could, could build up to it. I've been there before. I'm not there right now. But with a lot of practice, I feel like I could get there. And when I say a lot of practice, I mean, you know, sure, you do lots of bench shooting and standing shooting, but then you need training. Like, climb a hill, jump up to, to the top of a hill, turn around, shoot 200 yards offhand, you know, with your heart racing and huffing and puffing, and you only have a second to, to catch the target and see it. That's the kind of things you need to practice and you need to train for these situations. And there's not even a lot of places you can train like that. But that's the way you want to do it. So, you know, you want to be able to think about it in terms of I want to shoot offhand under those circumstances, the 200 yards, and maybe from a rest or a supported position out to 300. That is the best you need to be able to do. And that is the most that the average hunter is reasonably capable of doing without, you know, special forces training and a lifetime of competitive shooting and, uh, you know, 25 power scope with sandbags. And here's the thing. You're not going to take a 25 power scope elk hunting because it's going to be so heavy. It's just going to weigh you down. You need something that is going to be relatively light because you're talking about covering miles, miles and miles and hills and elevation. You might be thousands of feet high in elevation, higher than you've ever been or ever used to being. And in those situations and circumstances, guys, every pound is going to feel like 10. All right. Every pound that you're carrying is going to feel like 10 from what you normally carry where you live. So you, you can't take that kind of gear. It's really not reasonable. So now what kind of firearm do you need to be able to accomplish that? What will let you punch out the 200 and at most 300 yards accurately, effectively, and with enough knockdown power at those ranges to be able to drop an elk, but without having so much recoil that it hinders your ability to shoot accurately. Because here's what a lot of people do. They're finally going to do their big elk hunt, hunt of a lifetime, all that jazz. And they go out and they, they go with an outfitter and they spend all kind of money and they get plane tickets and they get accommodations and they go out and, you know, buying a new rifle is, is relatively inexpensive compared to all the other costs involved. So they go out and they get a 300 Winchester Magnum or, or some other Magnum caliber and they fly out to Colorado or wherever they're going and they get to camp and... And they may take three practice shots at the camp just to sight it in, since they probably never shot this rifle before, or at most two or three times, just to make sure that scope's on there. And then they're, they're in the woods. What they don't realize is that rifle recoils a lot more than anything they're used to shooting. And then they get out there, and, and they do some practice shots, and oh man, it really hits hard. And... They start to develop a flinch and, and they're not controlling the rifle well enough when they shoot it and they're not holding it tight enough and they don't have a good enough grip and they're not shouldering it effectively and uh, form and and shooting style that worked just fine with the 243 
is not going to hold up with a 300 Magnum. So all of a sudden, they have become a worse shot because they're shooting a rifle that is too big for them and or beyond what they have trained for. And in that situation and circumstance, they have now handicapped themselves by getting a bigger rifle. Now, can you take elk with a 243? You know, so you can take anything with anything. You could take an elk with a 22 long rifle if you shoot it in the head at 20 yards. Then you get a good headshot through the eye or something. It's possible. But in terms of being able to take an elk at 200 yards with a good broadside shot, you need something with some some force, something with some power. A 243, while possible, is, is just not quite sufficient in my book. So what do you want? Well, I don't think you need a 300 Magnum. I don't think you need a Magnum caliber to take an elk. Now, if you can shoot a 300 Magnum well, by all means. Um, but most new hunters, intermediate hunters, cannot. They think they can. They'll tell you they can. They'll even fight you to the death that they can. And believe it. But they go to shoot it and they just cannot shoot it that well. They just can't. They have a flinch. They're not holding it well enough. Their groups are too big. They're all over the place. Shooting offhand. They're, they're, the groups are just too large. They think they're proficient, but they're just not proficient. And it doesn't matter if you believe you are. You know, paper and testing will reveal the truth. And that is why any good guide is not going to just go with whatever you want to do. They're going to take you to the range. They're going to make you sight that gun in. They're going to make sure that you're able to, to shoot from several different positions and have sufficient accuracy to do the job. Because if they take you to that elk and they, they, they get you there and they help you find one and you get your shot and miss or worse, wound it and it gets away... Well, now you're going to be upset. You're going to be angry. You're going to be mad at them. They're going to be mad at you for wounding the animal and for blowing the opportunity that they brought you to. And they just know that that's not good for business. So they want to make sure you're shooting something that is effective in your hands. That said, you know, if you insist, they'll probably let you do whatever you want. But you need to, to make good decisions here. So ideally... You want something, maybe 30 caliber, something like a 308, 30-06, or a 30-06's cousin, the 270. Those are good calibers for elk hunting. And anything in similar power vein. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, the, the 270 is maybe the best out of that particular group. Because it's a very flat shooting cartridge. So it's very easy for you to sight that in at 200 yards or so and, and easily be able to punch out the 300 or shoot something at 100 
without hardly any adjustment. All right, it's a nice flat trajectory. 30-06 and the 308 are not as flat, but they will certainly do the job. Um, I'm a big fan of the 308 personally. It fits me well. The recoil is within my realm of manageability. I prefer it over the 30-06, mostly because there's just so many different kinds of ammo available for it relative to the 30-06. That was not always the case. Years ago, the 30-06 was the more popular cartridge. There were more options, but the pendulum has swung the other way, and it's a declining cartridge relative to some of the newer cartridges or more mainstream cartridges like a 308. So I, I prefer the 308 simply because ammo is easier to find and there's more options when I find it and it's a little less expensive and a little less recoil and uh, ballistically just a, just a hair behind the 30-06. 30-06 actually gives you more recoil than it gives you the relative increase in ballistic energy for mainstream loads. Of course, you can change a lot of things with hand loading, but I digress. Anything in that zone will work. Um, my rifle, I've got a scope where I have your, your, your fine crosshairs, and then you have steps underneath it. So you, you sight it in. I sight mine in for 100 yards, and then the first step under it is 200. The next step is 300, 400, 500, and I've never even shot it that far. They're just useless. But... If I have the right ammo, that two and 300 yard line really is on the mark. I mean, it's within a couple inches. I mean, three or four inches of dead center. So in a pinch, if I approximately know the distance of this thing, you know, I can just, if I, I, I can just pick the second line pretty much at any range and know I'm going to be able to hit it. So, um, but that comes with practice. You know, that's not going to be the right setup for everybody and probably not the right setup for you. Probably the best thing you can do is pick a zero that is somewhere in between that min and max range that you're able to have uh, what they call a point blank shot. You, you aim dead center on the crosshairs, on the animal, and at most reasonable ranges, you're going to be within two or three inches high or two or three inches low. And you want to... You know, you can you can set that up and that's another episode and another another topic. But zero that rifle. If you're going elk hunting, I'd zero it for 200 yards. Maybe 150, somewhere in there. If it's closer, you're just talking about a couple inches. If it's a little further, you're just talking about a couple inches. And as long as you're within that relative zone, you just put that crosshair right in the biggest part of, of, the, of the lung area. And the animal is big enough that a couple inches high or low is going to be just fine. So I'm thinking, you know, anything out there with relative power to 270, 308, 30-06. A lot of people want to go out there with like a 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, Yeah, I mean, at close range, I'm going to say, yeah, certainly probably has enough power. But... The 6.5 is designed to be a long-range target load or long-range varmint load, long-range predator hunting. It is not something you should shoot an elk at at 300 yards. It's just not quite there. Um, 
you know, you're, you're, if you've practiced well and you can put that shot perfectly and you have really good bullets, maybe you've hand loaded it in order to get just a little bit more power. Yeah, it'll do the job, but I think that's sort of scraping the bottom of, of the range of what I'd recommend. On the high end of the range, 300 Magnum, anything in that zone, of course, is going to be more than ample, more than you need. And if you can shoot it well, then great. But you don't need to go out and buy a 300 Winchester Magnum if you have a good 308 or a good 270 or a good 30-06. Uh, just practice more with those guns. Get more ammo, practice more, do some more longer range practice. Make sure you're good out to 200 yards from a variety of shooting positions and circumstances, and you should be good to go. Keep in mind, most people, when they think of you know, how effective they can be at certain ranges, they think about it in terms of deer hunting. And for deer hunting, the animal's much smaller than an elk. So margin of error is smaller. So you may not be comfortable shooting a deer at 200 yards offhand, but an elk, you may be comfortable because it's significantly larger animal, significantly larger margin. So you want to practice. The, the rule of thumb is if you can hit a pie plate consistently at any range, that is good, that, that's sufficient to do the job. If you can hit a pie plate, um, you're going to be able to do it. So practice with that. Do what you can. A monopod is a good option. Um, if you get a good monopod, you can use it like a walking stick. And then when the time comes, sometimes they've got fold up or down um, pieces on the top, or you can just set your rifle right on the top, or there's different kinds. But a good monopod walking stick can be something that can give you a, a leg up here if you need that little bit of support to reach out to, to 200 yards or so. Of course, you can certainly take them closer, but I don't think you need, you, you do not need the skill to shoot beyond 200 yards. 300 is the max that probably any elk hunter should be shooting if they can get an ethical shot at that range. In terms of ammunition, you need good expanding bullets. Nosler partition is sort of like the gold standard. It's been dropping elk effectively and consistently for decades. Um, it, it's great because you've got lots of expansion on the, on the front, first part of the partition. Second part retains mass, so it has penetration capability. So it goes into those lungs, expands, does a lot of damage, and then still pot pushes through and, and is able to get you out the other side or real close to it. I always recommend, you know, if you can, you want something that will help you punch through clear through to the other side even if it's just barely and um, not just for the blood wound for the blood trail but to create a sucking chest wound that uh, just makes it much harder for the animal to, to cover any ground before collapsing so there are the firearms uh, could say more but I don't think more is needed now in terms of gear what kind of gear do you need to hunt elk single most important piece of gear for an elk hunt period, is your boots. You have to have good boots, and not just good boots. Good boots that you have broken in extensively. Good boots that you have hiked 10 miles in. Good boots that you have had for months, maybe years. 
You know, if you're going to go out elk hunting next year, go tomorrow and buy your boots and start breaking them in. Don't just, you know, wear them a couple days to work or, or wear them on a couple deer hunts. You need to cover tens of miles in these with some regularity. Just build, just build them up. Just build them up. And ideally, you want two pairs of boots. All right? You want two pairs of really good boots that are broken in that you can walk any distance in any condition with absolute comfort and just be 100%. Because you want to wear one one day and then you want to rotate and wear the other one the next day. This helps keep you from getting blisters. It also lets them dry out and, and rebound and all of that. Switching it up for your feet just helps you. So you want two really good pairs of boots. That is first and foremost. The other things that you need, there's lots of things that you could use, right? It really depends on where you're going, what's the weather going to be, what kind of conditions are you going to be in. But almost in every scenario, you're going to need to pack light and you're going to need to pack versatile. So it's going to be cold in the morning, might be hot in the middle of the day, might be cold towards the end of the day. So you're going to have to have some layering capabilities. You may go out there with an extra layer or two on. You may take it off and stuff it in your pack. So you want to plan for extra room in your pack to absorb those layers. Uh, in terms of what kind of layers do you need? Well, I think most important is a good base layer. Um, you know, if you're investing in an elk hunt, you should get some merino wool base layers. I recommend First Light. I think they make some of, if not the best in the industry. It's not cheap, but nothing with elk hunting is cheap. You know, those you're, you're looking at like $100 per top and bottom. And they have different thicknesses, right? They have 150 weight, 250 weight, 350 weight. Um, and you don't just want to get the heaviest one because it'll be the warmest. That may not be the best for the conditions that you're in because heavier is heavier. It weighs more. It's thicker. It's gonna. It's it's not just the weight of it, but it's also gonna hinder your mobility more than a lighter one. You know, I love the 350 weight for hunting ducks for sitting in the deer blind. But for elk hunting, you probably want to go 250 weight or a 150 weight. Now, why merino wool? I did a video on this recently. I might have even done a podcast, but I know you can find the video on the YouTube channel. Long story short, merino wool holds heat when wet. It still retains something like 90% of its insulative capabilities, even when soaking wet. I did a test, a YouTube video where I actually got the coffee cups of hot water and I put them in different base layers, merino um, and, and several different others. And then I set them out in negative five degree weather and then came back and measured the temperature later and recorded the loss and which ones won. So the first light won, hands down. I then took all the base layers and I just got them soaking wet. I just plunged them into a bucket until they were dripping wet and then repeated the test wet. The first light merino wool base layers came out drastically on top, soaking wet. In other ones, they lost so much of their insulated capability once they got wet. Uh, even some really expensive bougie brands 
just made me think, oh man, yeah, merino wool is is definitely worth it. It's comfortable, it breathes, it wicks moisture and evaporates moisture probably better than anything else. So merino wool base layer, single most important clothing piece. Beyond that, guys, I don't think you need a whole lot of super whiz-bang fancy stuff. You need some pants that you can hike through some thick stuff without getting them torn up. Maybe with some weather-resistant properties, but Gore-Tex is probably going to get torn to shreds. So I don't think you need super-duper pants. Something ripstop would be maybe good if you're in those sorts of conditions uh, in terms of jacket or coat. You know, you're usually not out in Arctic conditions elk hunting. So you, you don't need something usually that's super duper. You want something that can break the wind. You know, something that has a windproof membrane. You're probably not going to be hunting in pouring rain. Um, if you are, you probably just need to bring a rain jacket or a rain parka or something you can throw on over top. Um, you know, Cabela's and others, they make some that'll that just fold up into this little bag and they're not cheap either, but you throw them in your pack and if it rains, boom, you can just pop out this Gore-Tex layer. Uh, a lot of, th one of the things people, a lot of people like to use are gators. Um, that'll keep moisture, that'll keep all sorts of seeds and garbage and if there is snow, it'll keep snow out of your boots. So you can put some gators, they just sort of wrap around the top of your boots and go up to your knee and um, just help you power through wet, cold, snowy, and you know stuff that's just real thick and that you don't want to tear your shoes or your pants apart. So a good pair of gaiters is probably a good investment. Uh, like I said, outerwear, windproof. You're going to have wind. Something windproof. And then you just add layers. Whatever you need on the inside of that. If you need fleece, if you need whatever, I don't think you need to spend huge sums of money on other pieces of gear there. For headgear, I think a, a nice balaclava uh, will serve you well, uh, especially if it's windy or if it's cold, but you're going to probably take that off halfway through the day. So, you know, um, in terms of what you put on your hat, I, I like to have a nice merino wool, a thin merino hat, something that I, you can wear when it gets hot and you throw that on. You probably want a warmer, fleecy, insulated, windproof something or other for when it's real cold and in the mornings when it's super windy. But eventually you're going to want to take that off, but you're not going to want to go without a hat. You're going to want to have a hat on because you want to keep your head warm. You want to have some protection against the wind. So a nice merino hat is going to keep your head dry. It's going to keep your head warm. It's not going to be too hot, um, but you want to have a couple different head options with you so you can change as you go on. Another thing that you want, socks. You want good hiking socks. I'm going to recommend merino wool socks again. Um, you know, First Light, who makes the merino wool base layers, they make some nice merino wool socks. I'm a big fan of the darn tough socks. I think they're my favorite socks period. They have a real nice heavyweight hunter sock that's merino wool. Um, they've got over the calf and boot height. I prefer the over the calf ones because they stay up. They don't fall down and, and just, just end up as like a puddle in your boots. 
but whatever you like, they have mid-weight socks. I like the darn tough socks, and they're by no means a sponsor. I don't know that they even know I exist. I like them because they have a lifetime guarantee. And they're not cheap. They're, they're not cheap at all, but they have a lifetime guarantee. And, you know, that says a lot right there. I've never worn a pair out yet. So you want to have a good pair of socks. You don't want just one good pair. You don't want just two good pairs. You want four good pairs. You want to take the pair that you're wearing and you want to take a second pair with you when you go out. You want to have an extra pair of socks in your pack. Heavy. Now, if it's going to be hot, you don't need the heavy ones. You can get midweight or lightweight. Know the conditions. Have options. Right? But um, I also like the first light or not. Excuse me. The... Um, the merino socks from darn tough because you don't need to wear a liner they're not itchy they're not scratchy they're they're soft they're perfect they stand alone but you need that extra pair of socks because in the middle of the day you sit down for lunch you've been hiking all morning if you change your socks it'll give your feet a new lease on life if you change your socks in the middle of the day and you throw on just dry, fresh, cushioned socks, and just and just wearing on your feet on different places. If you change socks, it will give you you'll be like a new person. All right, it's noon and you've been hiking thirty miles, and you throw a new pair of socks on. Oh man, it can make all the difference. So you want to have another good pair of socks with you, and then uh, you want to have two more pair of socks back at the camp. Right, So tomorrow, you can take two fresh pairs. By fresh, I mean dry and ready. What's real nice about Merino socks is they don't smell. And you can wear them for days and days, and they do not stink. But I recommend you have an extra two pairs at the camp. So every day you can rotate. That helps the socks retain their cushion, gives you better padding, and make sure that they're always dry before you go out into the woods because you don't want to put wet socks on your feet. But also, it helps to, to have two different pairs back at the camp for tomorrow because they're going to wear on your feet differently. Okay, Even if they're the exact same sock, you bought four pairs of the same one, you know, every time you put a pair of socks on, it, it, it just fits on your feet a little differently. Eighth inch here, quarter inch there. You didn't pull quite as tight. The seams and the threads and, and all of it is just going to grab your foot in a slightly different place. Some socks, you know, even though they're the same sock, they're cut just a little differently. They, they pull and wear just a little bit differently. So if you have options like that, then, uh, you know, whatever socks you wore today, however they wore your feet out, Tomorrow, you're going to put different socks on. They're going to wear on your feet just slightly differently, and that's just going to help you stay comfortable. So four pairs of good socks. You don't need 10, but two's not enough. Take four. Four is all you need. And then you've got everything that I mentioned. Your base layer is important. Your socks are important. Your boots are important. Some windbreaking layer is important. And then just having options. Okay, you don't need to buy a $200 hoodie and base layer pants and stuff, or $200 mid-layer pants. You just don't need to do that. Um, usually, what you're going to do is you're going to put a base layer on your legs, and then you're just going to put your ripstop pants on, over top of those, and that's it. Even if it's 30 degrees, 20 degrees, and windy, that's probably all you're going to wear, probably all you're going to wear, because you're walking so much. 
that you, you don't want your feet, your legs just wearing out from having so much bulk. You can wear more layers up top if you need to, but on your legs, you probably want to go light. So like a 250 weight Merino or a 150 weight, probably 250, and then your outer layer, and that's all you need, usually. And then for your top, like I said, as many layers as you need or want, and you're going to vary those through the day and from day to day, depending on the weather. Uh, sunglasses I would bring, and but not not expensive or glass sunglasses. You know, something cheap, plastic, something you can smash into your into your vest or your pants or your pocket or whatever. Um, that can help you a lot if you're covering a lot of ground in bright sun. But you're not going to be worried if you lose them. Just don't plan on bringing them back because you're probably not gonna. They're gonna get scratched up, roughed up, thrown away. But it's a great twenty bucks. To, to help your eyes, you need binoculars. Got to have binoculars. You got to be able to see in glass areas. Uh, you don't need the greatest binoculars ever, but a good pair of high quality, lightweight binoculars is probably something you want to invest in and keep in your pack. Uh, your guide's probably going to have binoculars, but you know if you're sitting there glass in an area and he's on his binoculars for 40 minutes and you've got nothing to look at, well, that that's terrible. So you want to have some binoculars so you can you can do that too. Um, other things. A knife. Uh, people are really go overkill on the knife. Um, a knife. A, a partial mentor of mine, Chef Albert Woosh, who is a... Uh, career professional chef and chef instructor at the university levels, also avid sportsman. He's retired now, but he has traveled all over the country hunting elk and all sorts of big game and then teaching people professionally how to cook, running restaurants and all that. Uh, he takes a three, is it even three inches? I think it's a two and a half inch half knife. It, it doesn't even fit in your whole hand. Like your finger goes through a loop and then there's just a little tang on it and it weighs, I think he said, three or four ounces. He said that he uses that knife to butcher an entire elk. And why does he use that knife? Because it's super duper made of titanium and carbonite. and No, it's because it's light. I asked him, I said, okay, well, what is the best knife you can buy? He said, a sharp one. Doesn't matter what brand it is. Doesn't matter what it's made of. Is it sharp? If you can sharpen it in the field, if you have one of those little tiny two-inch steels or whatever, and you can sharpen it up in case it goes dull, that's all you need. A cheap, not super cheap. I mean, you, you can't buy a $1 Walmart knife, but you know you need a knife that is sharp and light, and that's pretty much it. Something you can take a field and pack easily. You don't need much more than that. That's That'll do the job. Again, the lighter the better. Of course, you're going to want to take water. And you're going to want to take some snacks, protein bars, whatever. So you can eat in the middle of the day. But, uh, you know, that is the general gear. We could go further. We could go deeper. But here's what you need to do. Ask your guide. Ask your outfitter. Or ask the people who live there. Because you're going to have one of those three if you're going to go elk hunting. You're either going to know somebody who lives there or you're going to have a guide or an outfitter. Almost never, as I talked about in previous episodes, you're just going to launch out into the deep, fly 2,000 miles, and try to figure it out on your own. If you're doing that, then good luck. You need to ask somebody, 
hey, what's the weather like? What are the conditions like? What's it like this time of year? What do you think it's going to be like that week? And you need to figure out based on that any specific gear that you need to hunt in that area under those conditions. So guys, I hope this is helpful for you. Head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Check out the show notes, articles, episodes, videos, everything. Would really appreciate it if you went to iTunes and left a review with comments. The number one way to help grow the podcast and reach more people. Till next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods.